0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Oh, folks, we're on. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. All right. The writers shall not be moved or shaken, right? Yes, technology yield, amen. Yield, okay, lead, let's get started, right? We've got time to make up, let's go. Today, I want to talk to you about talking rather than listening, amen? Talk, don't listen. Can you say that back to me? Excellent, talk, don't listen. And here's a, our guiding principle for this morning. Talk to yourself, do not listen to yourself, right? Talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself, okay? Have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself, instead of talking to yourself. What an interesting concept. That's Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And folks, I think you all know what I mean. Yeah. Talking to yourself uh, is the first sign of genius. Amen? At least that's what I keep telling myself. So I keep telling myself. Number two, of course I talk to myself. I need expert advice. <laughs> Number three, Folks, listen to me this morning. If you are not talking, you are listening. If you're not talking, you're listening to the stories or the narratives, the meta-narratives. A meta-narrative is an overarching story, right, that the world, the flesh and the devil tell you. Okay, we know about those three enemies: the world, the flesh, and the devil. We live in a toxic culture, and it's a culture that tells us stories. Amen. They are all the time we're listening, listening, listening to messages and to stories. And folks, we can listen to lies, or we can tell ourselves the truth. Amen. We can listen to lies or tell ourselves the truth. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. Psalm of David. You ready? Let's do it. David writes, in real circumstances, in a real situation, fleeing on the run from his own son, his son's larger forces. And he runs and he talks about being as a deer panting for the water, panting to be back amidst the assembly. Amen. So these are real situations that David's in. But he says this in verse five, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? I want you to notice something right now. He's not talking to the devil and he's not talking to the Lord. He's talking to himself. Isn't that interesting? He's talking to himself. Hope in God, David says to himself, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Praise the Lord. We're going to go back to that verse, but I want us to begin to understand something. In the world we live in today, we're taught and told that the mind is the centre of our being. Our mind is the centre of who we are. That's not true in the Bible. In the Bible, our heart or soul is the centre of who we are. The soul, the heart. We are far more emotive and emotional and subjective than we like to tell ourselves, amen. We're not rational beings per se, we're feelers. We're subjective. Our hearts are the centre of our person. Have you ever seen this movie? Have you ever seen Inside Out? Shame the kids are gone. They definitely would recognise it. Wave at me if you've seen Inside Out. Yes, So you know the movie, it's a Disney Pixar movie, it's fantastic and it's all about childhood development but these characters exist in the mind of the child and now if you can imagine inside out and take that whole situation and move it from your mind to your heart, you can start to understand how the human body works, how the human creation works, how a human being works, how you and I Work. Folks, David wasn't listening to himself. He was talking to himself. And there's a difference. Instead of listening to those feelings that he had of depression and hopelessness, instead of listening to those feelings, he began to speak to himself. There's a difference, folks. He told himself where to place his hope, he recognised, two things are going on here, he had a keen understanding of himself, he had humility to discern himself, and he had an understanding of the scriptures of God, so he could apply truth to himself. If you like, he was treating his own wounds. You see what I'm saying? What did he do? He told himself where to place his hope, He directed his own heart back onto God. Very important. He directed his own heart back onto God. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Other translations say that your heart is the wellspring of life. How you think, how you speak, how you behave flows from the posture of your heart, where your heart is directed from. So here's a principle, church, this morning. Guard your heart. Preach to it before it preaches to you. Preach to it before it preaches to you. In other words, tell yourself a better story tell yourself a better story. John Piper said this, you never outgrow your need to preach yourself the gospel, to preach the gospel to yourself. Isn't it funny? Martin Luther said, we must preach the gospel to ourselves because we're prone to forget. Isn't it interesting? We have forgetfulness. We have a bend away from the gospel. The gospel is upside down, counterintuitive, against our nature. If we don't return to it intentionally, we'll bend away from it. Our hearts will turn from it. Preach the gospel to yourself every Christmas. Preach the gospel to yourself at Easter. Preach the gospel to yourself when things are going well. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Every day. Every day. Tell yourself who you are in Christ. Tell yourself what Christ has done for you on the cross. Tell yourself He is with you now. Tell yourself what lies ahead of you. Tell yourself that your life is in the Redeemer's hands. Hallelujah Hallelujah this morning. Tell yourself, don't wait for someone to encourage you. Don't wait for a Barnabas. Become one and practice on yourself. Encourage yourself. Speak to yourself. Mend, tend to yourself. When? When? Turn to Psalm 63 verse 1. In the KGV, it says, Oh God, thou art my God. Earnestly, some translations render it. But here in the KGV, it's early. Early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. In other words, rise and shine, folks. Good morning. Turn to your neighbour and say, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 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 Principle. Earlier is better. Note the way I said it. I didn't write up there, get up in the morning and spend two hours praying and reading the Bible. I did not say that. What I wrote here is earlier is better. Earlier is better. Every day you have to reset your soul. Hear what I said reset your soul your heart to embrace, say embrace, Embrace. believe, say believe, Believe. live on on. and rejoice rejoice in all that Christ, Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what you do every day, every day. And so the most important question you can ask yourself in the morning or early is this, how am I? The psalmist says, Lord, search me. Lord, check my heart before I check my phone. Lord, my heart is more important than my newsfeed. My heart is more important than my schedule. I will tend to my heart I will tend to myself, I will invite grace and gospel power and resurrection and higher truth into my life, into my heart, early, early in the day. That's what I'm going to do. Before I reach for my phone, I'm calling on the throne. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Bars. Listen, folks, I don't think you know what I'm talking about here because certainly this is true for me. The enemy comes early, doesn't he? The enemy wakes up early. So wake up earlier. Amen. The psalmist says, I will awake the dawn with singing. Right? So your praise is the alarm clock that wakes up the dawn and frightens the devil every morning. Amen. Amen. Because he comes early with stories in the form of thoughts, stories, narratives. You know, 70% of your brain power is spent creating or conjuring up narratives, stories. That's true. 70% of your brain power is spent conjuring up scenarios, stories, narratives. The enemy comes early to plant something in our heart that will set our direction for the day. Principle. Before it was a feeling, it was a thought. Right? That's Stephen Furtick. I have to give him props. (laughs) Before it was a feeling, it was a thought. I want you to think about that. Some of you are walking around with feelings of rejection, feelings of hopelessness and despair. Some of you are walking around with a low view of yourself. Isn't it funny how when God spoke to King Saul when he didn't, Kilagag, the king of the Amalekites. He said, although you were small in your own sight, I took you and, and placed you above my people. You had a small view of yourself. Do you remember in Numbers 13, the children of Israel stood on the borders of the Jordan to cross through into promise into Canaan. And although they were free, they still fought like slaves. They said that the descendants of Anak were there and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Isn't it amazing that the grasshopper in their mind was bigger than the giant in Canaan? That it wasn't a giant in Canaan that kept them out of promise. It was a grasshopper in their mind. It was how they saw themselves. Some of you have projected insecurities onto situations and people and it's kept you out of blessing. It's kept you out of blessing. Before it was a feeling, it was a thought. Principle. The thoughts I think... Tell me the direction my heart is facing. I want you to think about that. Do you wake up thinking about people? What they've done to you? What they should have done for you? How they've hurt you? People? Relationships? Where is your heart directed? People. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2, please. Verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul writes this. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirits of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So... And look at this, folks, underline it in your Bibles if you haven't already, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. What wow. yes. wow. you think about that? Anyone recognize this? Can you read it? I'll read it for you. Are you sure you want to remove existing music, movies, TV shows and books and tones from this iPhone and sync with the iTunes library? Music, movies, TV shows, books, and tones will be synced to Lucy's iPhone. Thank you, Lucy. From other iTunes libraries, they'll be removed and items will be synced from this iTunes library. So you've got two options. You can cancel or remove and sync. I want to talk to you about syncing your thinking. Amen? Sinking your thinking. And um, there's uh, just an amazing, we're going to do a little history lesson here. This is called, and I'm not a historian either. not really a guru of anything, but we'll jump into history for a moment with me. This word says denazification. I want to read some statistics. Very interesting. The US conducted opinion surveys in the American zone of occupied Germany after the war was over, okay? Uh, in, in his book, *Postwar: A History of Europe Since 1945, um, Tony Judd extracted some statistics, and I want to read some of them to you. So these are a, this is an American pocket in Germany after the Nazi regime had ended. A majority in the years from 1945 to 1949 stated that Nazism had been a good idea, it was just badly applied. In 1946, 6% of Germans said the Nuremberg trials had been unfair. In 1946, 37% in the US occupation zone said about the Holocaust that the extermination of the Jews and Poles and other non-Aryans was necessary for the security of Germans. In 1946... One in three in the US occupation zone said that the Jew should not have the same rights as those who belonged to the Aryan race. In 1950, one in three said the Nuremberg trials had been unfair. In 52, 37% said Germany was better off without the Jews and its territory. In 1952, 25% had a good opinion of Hitler. In 1953... All, uh, 14% of Germans said they would vote for someone like Hitler again. Principle. You can be free, you can be in victory, but not in agreement. You can be free, you can be in victory, but you can still have thinking, the mindset, from an old regime, from a fallen enemy. Sync your thinking. You've got an old iTunes library full of old thoughts and ideas and you've got a new library full of truth. Sink your thinking. You can be free and so many Christians need to sync their thinking. Listen, syncing is agreeing. It's agreeing. An agreement is powerful and you can't sync with God, with the mind of God without letting go or removing the old library of thoughts and beliefs and ideas that you have about yourself, about others and about the Lord. We don't experience the power of agreement because we aren't willing to let go of our old library. We're not willing to sink. The same thoughts and feelings and perspectives and lies we hold on to We're not willing to part with, and they come to us in the morning and we listen. First Corinthians 10 tells us to take every thought captive and make it bring it under submission to Christ. And yet, so many of these old thoughts come to us, and instead of us putting them under submission, they put us under submission. We're called to take them captive before they take us captive. That it's one thing to be free, but it's another to be free in your mind and in your thinking. The scriptures teach us that we should set our minds. Amen? Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. Christ, my life. Christ, my future. My destiny. The hope in what is above. First Peter says that you're to prepare your mind for action. Some translations say you're to gird up the loins of your mind. Girding up the loins, when you study what it means to gird up loins, it literally means to take the long flowing garment that was typical in prophets during those days. They would wear it. And like Elijah did when he ran alongside Ahab's chariot, tie it up into a kind of adult nappy. (laughs) So that you can run. In other words, don't let your mind just flow anywhere. It's going to affect your mobility. Posture your heart. Turn it where it needs to be turned. In other words, agree. Agree. Agree before any other discipline. Before you drink two liters of water. Before you do your press-ups or drink your morning coffee. Before you check your phone. Before you turn to the scriptures that are there for life, make sure you're in submission. I believe a lot of people struggle to read their Bible, not because, they're intellectual, not because they don't have the intellect, but it's a submission thing. Tyndall wanted to give the Bible to a plowboy, every plowboy in England and I think, the 1700s. We're more educated than a plowboy would have been in the 1700s. This isn't an education thing. This is a heart posture thing. This is a submission thing. When my heart is aligned, the scriptures open up to me. I think a lot of the time we come to the Bible too alive. We need to come dead, submitted, postured right, and the word will open to us. Principle, remove and sink. The Holy Spirit every day has a sink request pending on our lives. Come and agree with me. Come and say yes to what I say about you. Don't entertain anyone's thoughts about you except mine. As early as possible, say it with me. As early as possible, even in the middle, even in the wee hours. If you're Tony, by God's grace, I will. Think and there's three things I want you to look at this morning that will help you do this practically. Number one is worship. Worship. What is worship? Worship is agreement from the heart. A lot of the time we think because we, we, yeah, I agree, God is good and he loves me and it's all good up here, right? That it's the same as what we believe in our hearts. Our functional theology dictates our life. We must worship to agree with God from the heart. Amen? It's Worship is different. Worship the Lord. Agree from the heart. Number two, pray and wait. And prayers, and listen, those prayers should sound a lot like, Lord, I'm letting go of those thoughts that I know are not from you. Take out the false narratives. Do you know how often I pray that? Listen, please don't think I'm standing up here again as if I'm any further along than anybody else. I pray that prayer time and time again. Lord, take, let, take out any false narratives, anything I'm believing that isn't from you, anything that's me and not you, any perceptions of people or myself or you if that's not from you, that's not in line with your word, take it out. Amen. And let me tell you, the grace that comes into your life in that moment. It's as if the Lord just pulls up his sleeve and goes, no problem. Grace on arrival. You ask me, I'll take it from you. I'll take it from you. I'll do it. And the last thing we need to do every morning is acknowledge, speak thankfulness. Do you know, when you wake up, the first thing out of your mouth matters. Now, when you're over a certain age, the first thing out of your mouth is an inaudible groan. Oh. <laughs> Amen? The first thing out of your mouth matters. Do you know that you can frame the day by what you say? But when you speak thankfulness, Lord, thank you. You brought me through another night. You brought me, and if you're like me and you wake up next to a beautiful woman, Lord, I don't know how, but thank you. You wake up, look at everything you have, everything he's given, everything he's yes. doing, and you acknowledge it with your mouth. Hallelujah. Acknowledgement, acknowledgement. It's all a part of sinking with the mind of God because he wants you to know what he thinks. He wants you to think as he does. I want to talk to you, um, I, you know, because we don't have a lot of time. I want to talk to you about just a particular area where this is just so powerful and uh, it's, it's dealing with hurts. Church hurts and all that sort of thing. One thing I'll never do is take a stick to the body of Christ. It's already been broken for me. Who am I to criticize who he speaks so highly of? Amen. But there is a reality that when you walk into a place full of broken things that you might get cut by a sharp edge or two. Amen? It's true. We're not a museum for the perfect. We're a hospital for the broken. You've heard that before. Hurts are real. Hurts are a reality. But this, if you'll learn to do this, it's just so powerful. Turn with me to John chapter 13, please. Um, I've often actually come to this passage, but I'm going to go to it again because it's so rich. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's with his disciples hours before he's going to be betrayed. The Last Supper, the secret council, amen, room of God where he unveils, he unpacks the covenant to the disciples, the body and the blood, the new covenant. But it's also a room full of betrayal, whether It would be Peter who would overtly betray him or Judas who would covertly betray him or the majority of the disciples who would abandon him. Only John made it to the cross. It was a room full of people that Jesus had invested deeply into who were going to let him down. It's hard to stay open when you know what people will do. It's hard to stay open when you've been hurt or when you anticipate hurt. Verse 3 Jesus knew, sink, sinking, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off out his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. It's amazing. It's amazing. Every, all the potential for hurt in the room and Jesus could still move in love, could still move in service. Do you remember that Pat Benatar song, Love is a Battlefield? Love is a Battlefield. It's true, isn't it? Love is a Battlefield principle. Loving means hurting. It does. Loving people means getting hurt. It does. You can't separate the two, but we're called to love. Amen. First John 2 tells us that we're to walk in the way that he walks. And he walked in love. He walked in love and he laid out a pattern for us. Our Savior kneels down and gazes upon the darkest acts of our lives. But rather than recoil in horror, he reaches out in kindness and says, I can clean that if you want. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) I'll clean that if you want. And from the basin of his grace... And how deep a basin he scoops a palm full of mercy and washes our sin. What kindness in the face of hurt. What kindness in the face, in the potential of pain. What a God we serve, Jesus. And yet God seeks for his mind. In fact, Philippians 2 says that we have his mind. We have the mind of Christ. I'm going to talk to you in in, in the few moments we have left on how to keep an open heart. How to keep an open heart. Thomas Brooks said this, preach the gospel to yourself. Are yeah. sensing a pattern here? (laughs) Because as you consider who you are in the light of God's perfect goodness and holiness and peace, you soften towards others. You soften towards others. Jesus was in sync. He knew who he was, whose he was, and where he was going, so he could serve people in spite of their motives. He wasn't moved by what he saw in front of him. He wasn't moved by the potential for pain and the people in front of him. He wasn't frustrated that he'd invested so much and gotten so little out of the relationship. That wasn't how he felt in that moment. It wasn't how he assessed the relationships that were in the room that night. Principle, my behavior toward that person isn't defined by what they have done. Are doing or will do to me, yeah, amen. Amen? amen. My behavior towards them is defined, Lord, by your behavior towards me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm say it again. My behavior towards that person isn't defined by what they have done, are doing, or will do to me. My behavior towards them is defined by your behavior towards me. Lord, Jesus, a man does not get grace till he comes down to the ground, till he sees his need for grace. When a man stoops to the dust and acknowledges that he needs mercy, then it is that the Lord will give him grace. That is the point, Lord How do I keep my heart open? It's not what they're doing, but what you did. It's not what they will do, but what you did to cover what I will do. It's what you bore for my sake. What's heavier, the cross of my failures or the cross of theirs? Principle, when I experience or anticipate hurts, I will remind myself of who I am, of whose I am and where I am going yes. and the cost. Yes. I will tell myself the cost, the price that he paid. Yeah. Amen. I'll tell myself again, in case I think that the price of patience is too high in my life and I don't feel like I can pay it. I'll tell myself the cost. I'll preach the cross to myself. Amen? I'll preach the cross to myself. I will pour in the oil and the wine into my own wounds. I will do it. I will tell myself a better story about his wounds and not my own. I will stop telling myself and listening to the story of my pain and tell myself the story of his again for my sake. Principle, looking at, examining, talking about your own wounds only deepens them. Some of us only want to talk about our pain, our wounds. You know, some people say that we're the only army that shoots their own. I don't like that. I don't like that. There may be an element of truth, but I don't like that. It's human nature. It's human nature. We wound each other. The church is the only place where there's healing. The gospel, the message, is the only place where you can be restored from pain. But folks, at some point, we have to stop talking about our own wounds. It only deepens them. Speaking about it magnifies it. Speaking about it makes it bigger. Picking scabs leaves scars. Amen? Anyone remember what it was like when your mom said, don't pick at it, it needs to heal. Stop going back to it. Stop touching it. Stop picking. Stop going. Stop going. Leave it. Let it heal. Rather, look at, examine Talk about his wounds. For by them, we are healed. Amen. When we talk about his sacrifice, tell ourselves what he did. There's healing. There's restoration. I'm healed, Lord. I don't care what they've done. I'm a new creation. Look at this. You know, the word healed means mended. I love that. Because to me it implies hands. The hands that were pierced from me or the hands that put me back together when I'm hurt. I'm going to end with a prayer. Lord, thank you that that person's behaviour cannot diminish who I am, whose I am, and what my portion is. Hallelujah. That person can't add to me or take away from me. Grace me to love them, Lord. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Thank you for the cross, Lord. You never once blamed us for putting you there. There was more mercy in you than sin in us. I said there was more mercy in you, Lord, than sin in us let the love that kept you on your cross keep me on mine let me see it Lord let me see it Lord I'd like to end with a prayer before I hand it over to Pastor Stephen Lord Jesus there's real trauma, real pain real experiences real hurts, real damage And sometimes it's just not that easy to not have it visit us in the morning, to not have it capture and captivate our thoughts and turn our hearts, Lord, away from grace toward bitterness, away from forgiveness toward resentment. Lord Jesus, it's only grace, but by your grace, help me to speak better things over my own life because there's nothing that that person or or those people or that circumstance can do to take my gospel identity from me. I am still a son. I am still a daughter. I know who I belong to. I know who I've believed. And I know that he's faithful and true to keep hold of the things that I've entrusted to him against that day. I know the faithful one who's able to heal, to touch, to restore. Jesus, I am still yours and I still have the same inheritance and the same portion. You will give me what you want me to have. You will give me what you want me to walk in. When you want it for me, no person will stand in the way. No person will keep it from me. No person will buffet your will for my life. So since they can take nothing from me and give nothing to me, let me love them, Lord, and keep my heart open. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen.